Hello and welcome to another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement with your host, Randy Sutton, here on the America Out Loud Network and uh, all platforms. I am a retired police lieutenant with 34 years of police experience with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, also the author of A Cop's Life and the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety, but most importantly, the founder of The Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. On this show, we talk about all the topics involving law enforcement, and you get the truth here at The Voice for American Law Enforcement. And I love to bring you phenomenal guests, and I have one with me today uh, about to jump into the studio here, and her name is Liz Collin. Liz is uh, been an investigative journalist for decades. Oh, I may, you know, maybe I shouldn't say that. I don't want to age anybody here, but uh, for a long time. And she is also the author of a best-selling book that just came out that I am really excited to talk to her about. Uh, and it's called They're Lying. And uh, we'll get into the full title here as soon as Liz comes back onto the show. Liz, welcome to The Voice for American Law Enforcement. Hi, Randy. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that uh, nice, warm introduction as well. <laughs> big, big, big fan of the show for a long time, so really pleased to be here. I appreciate that. So, Liz, I, I want I want my my listeners and my viewers to to know this up front that um, that Liz's husband is a friend of mine, uh, and he is part of this actually this interview, even though he's not here uh, physically at the moment. But he is part of this of this story because Bob Kroll is uh, a retired police lieutenant from the Minneapolis Police Department. He was the president of the union that was uh, heavily involved in the situation with George Floyd. And uh, he's married to Liz. And uh, between the two of them, they have written an explosive book. And uh, Liz, let's get into into first of all. I want I want the viewers and the listeners to get to know you just a little bit. Can you give a little bit of your background? Yeah, Randy. So I'm a Minnesota native, uh, born and raised in Worthington, Minnesota, very southwest corner of the state. And I was a, a little kid who dreamed of being a being a news reporter. I would stay up late to watch the ten o'clock news, thinking that was just awesome. And uh, what I, what I dreamed of doing from the time I can even remember. So kind of traveled the country, worked my way up through small markets and landed uh, what I thought was my dream job back in 2008 at uh, WCCO Television, the CBS affiliate in Minneapolis, uh, where I worked as an anchor and a reporter for, for 14 years. Uh, but this uh, this situation that happened on May 25th, uh, 2020, certainly changed my career tra trajectory, uh, my husband's as well, uh, as we were sort of faced with cancel culture and uh, the, the mob that came after us. Um, but more than anything, I was looking at this story through the lens of a journalist and was so troubled uh, how the truth was buried from the very beginning. I left that station um, last January and put out the, put out this book uh, along with uh, my, my husband, um, basically to kind of set the record straight. We're living the consequences of, of what happened um, from, from two years ago. And I think an entire generation will because of the lies that were told. Let, all right, I'm gonna let's let's talk about the the full title of your book is "They're Lying: The Media, the Left, and the Death of George Floyd." You know that in and of itself, that title 
is very, very powerful. And uh, I, I'm excited for you to be on the show because what has what has actually been put out into the public has, I mean, this incident changed policing forever. Uh, it changed the, the course of this nation. Um, so we don't want to minimize the impact, but the reality is that there was so much misinformation, disinformation put into the public that literally lives have been lost, cities have burned, people's lives have been have been changed forever, and you're both, you know, you're in a really unique position. You're a victim of this, and at the same time, you are in the perfect position to tell the truth about the George Floyd incident. So, um, you know, I, I, I really want to just get into a little bit of, well, let's, I'll tell you what, let's talk about the book first. And then I want to talk about the fallout that has befallen you and Bob, um, in, in uh, you know, in regards to this, this, uh, this incident. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll refer to it as that. So, Let's yeah. talk about the book. What, you know, to write a book is is an incredible journey, and um, nobody goes into that lightly. And I know you didn't. Talk about what it was that um, that inspired you to do this, and then uh, let's talk about that journey. Yeah, I think that, that's a great question, Randy, because we're really trying to give a voice to the people that haven't had one uh, from the very beginning, uh, that being police officers, especially in Minneapolis. I was so struck um, also by the media, who they were asking uh, for comment from in this uh, situation, and but more importantly, who, who they were not, these, these people that um, you know surrendered the third precinct um, dur during the riots uh, because city leaders um, I use air quotes for, for leaders when it comes to a lot of uh, people in Minnesota, sadly. Um, but we weren't asking we weren't asking these people for their stories and, and what they what they went through. And you know better than anyone that uh, this decimated the Minneapolis Police Department. There's about 40 percent fewer officers now uh, than there was back back in 2020. Um, so we wanted to give them a voice. Tell you know the the horrific. Um, details of what of what they went through, but also uh, the heroism that they, they displayed as the, the city burned for days, uh, because that was also a, a part of the plan. So also we're talking to uh, Derek Chauvin uh, for the first time. We're talking to mm. uh, Thomas Lane, um, for the first time as well. Um, a couple of the officers uh, involved that are now serving time in prison. Um, but there, there are many things also that I reveal about what was happening in my own in my own newsroom um, and the narrative that the, the media was crafting from the very beginning that I was so troubled by um, and I kept really detailed notes I, I'll be honest I never wanted to write a book this wasn't part of the the life life plan if you will you know uh, how much right. work goes goes into such a thing um, but but also I believe knowledge is power as a, as a journalist and I don't think that the, the story uh, was told and the truth was told again from the very beginning. And having the insider point of view as being, I mean, you are part of the established media. Uh, you're, it's one of the, the station that you worked for was one of the largest stations in Minneapolis. So you were an insider, if you will, 
um, who became an outsider uh, from the social issues of uh, and the and the the, the basic um, uh, lack of clarity that was given to this topic. Um, so, I mean, it's a very personal thing for you. Let's talk about, in fact, can we go back to the George Floyd incident happens? George Floyd dies in police custody. Where were you when this took place? And let's talk about that day when you knew that something really significant was going to happen. Yeah, so uh, we it was Memorial Day weekend. We had just um, come come back from from being out of town, and Bob got a call as he as he did a lot as union president. That's the the way things work, as you know. Um, and there was um, Tom Lane is the one that made that call, and he said um, that they had arrested um, a, a man in Minneapolis, and um, you know thing, things didn't go well as far as. Um, they think he was suffering a, a drug overdose. At that time, they, they weren't aware that George Floyd had, had passed away, but Thomas Lane quickly called back um, Bob again, uh, maybe about 20 minutes later or so, and um, said it looked like, um, you know, unfortunately that he had died at the hospital. Uh, so with any sort of in-custody death, uh, Bob plans to, to, to go in um, to the, the police federation to meet with the, the chief um, and others within the, the police department um, just basically to, you know, kind of talk to the officers, get on the same page, um, you know, as far as uh, the, the process they have to follow, um, et cetera. And he, it, it really, <laughs> I think it was uh, in the middle of the night when the Facebook video was basically um, out there that everything uh, quickly, quickly turned uh, with, the, with the chief's reaction, uh, with the community members' reaction, um, et cetera. Um, and, and what I do in the book is lay out how the process was not followed in this case, um, again, from the very beginning. The body camera footage is hidden. This is you know, 15 minutes before um, Derek Chauvin even arrives on scene um, to, to that police call uh, that, that Thomas Lane and um, J. Alexander King are interacting with George Floyd. But there's a reason the body cameras um, are, are hidden. If you also hear from the Minneapolis Police Department the the day after that what they were they're doing to to George Floyd, if you will, they're this has never been a part of training. They don't even know what this is. Well, mysteriously, they take they take down this MRT training, this maximum restraint technique. This, these pages disappear online uh, from the the training manual. No reporters are asking why. I'm in my newsroom wondering what the heck is <laughs> what the heck is going on. Wait a minute. Um, wait wait but, wait. Hold on a second. Let, this yeah. is this is. This is startling. So you're saying that 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 the police department actually took down information that was in their own materials for use of force and disappeared it. Yeah, there there are many things uh, that that were hidden from from the very beginning. Again, this Facebook video uh, comes out, which you know certainly looks looks terrible. Um, but we all know with with a lot of these interactions that there's more to the story. Well, nobody wanted to to tell uh, the rest of the story, if you will. Then all of a sudden, uh, we see uh, the mayor of Minneapolis, even the the chief of Minneapolis, start fanning the flames of racism. This is this is all about a black man and a white man. That that's the narrative from the very beginning. Um, we don't we don't even really know that there are other police officers. Uh, one who happens to be Hmong American, another uh, police officer who's black. We don't see that in this you know clip of video uh, on Facebook, and nobody wants to talk talk about that. Instead, it's all all about race from the very beginning. That's the narrative 
um, that, that they're pushing. And then another lie comes up when, you know, 12 hours later, uh, George Floyd's autopsy is conducted. They know that this is a multifactorial death. The Hennepin County uh, Medical Examiner documents that from the, from the very beginning. So the, the autopsy uh, happens within 12 hours, but they wait an entire week after part of Minneapolis burns to the ground uh, to, to release the autopsy. And you also have to ask what the reasoning uh, for that was. So there's we're, we're in the book actually um, a lot of public documentation, but that nobody was, nobody was questioning. We have a lot of um, Hennepin County uh, attorneys in their own writing, interviewing, um, the, the medical examiner. We know the FBI is involved in this case uh, from the very beginning because that was the chief's uh, first phone call uh, to, to get the FBI involved. There, there's no clarity. There's no context. Again, this is all about, about racism from the very beginning. So you can't question uh, the narrative or in, you know, in my case, the, the cancel culture vultures come after you. You know, they don't even want to, to cancel you. They want, they want to kill you. Um, so, you, you know, in, in many of these incidents, instances, you have to be quiet. And I think, frankly, it, it that's what happened. And, and we're all uh, pay, paying the price for that. Let's talk about the autopsy, because this was a this was probably one of the most controversial aspects of this entire case, because this is the cause of death. What did that autopsy, the original autopsy say? So, uh, so again, the uh, medical examiner, Randy, points to this multifactorial death from the very beginning, but also no marks on the neck. There's no strangulation, uh, nothing along um, those lines at, at all. Uh, there's also 11 nanograms of fentanyl um, in George Floyd's system. That's three times the uh, overdose rate, uh, if you will. Um, and that, that's all documented again within, within 12 hours. Um, so, and, even with with the video itself, the the knee to the neck, right? This is the narrative that we're hearing over and over again. Well, actually, Derek Chauvin's knee is more on the shoulder blade, which um, even the, the police chief admits to um, during trial. Again, no marks on the neck. There's there's nothing to to point to um, on the on the autopsy itself. Yeah, exactly. Nothing on the autopsy that uh, that that fits the public narrative of of basically a strangulation death, which is an asphyxia death, which is as it's basically every, every lay person that has been, you know, subjected to what the media has put out fully believes that this was a death caused by a knee to the neck. That is the narrative. How did this become so perverted? And I want to go back to that autopsy because this is a good point, Randy, that Again, the autopsy is withheld, and I think for for a reason. Um, that and remember, the autopsy. Perhaps if there would have been um, some more clarity and people were being honest from the very beginning, did the, did part of Minneapolis have to have to burn? Did fifteen hundred businesses um, have to burn and billions of dollars in damage uh, be left behind? I mean, I guess that's those are the questions to ask. But within hours of this autopsy being released, the following week, we have the family of George Floyd who hired their own. Um, medical examiners to do an autopsy. And basically the findings of that autopsy is George Floyd died from what you see in the video. Those are their exact words uh, from that document itself. And we have media um, companies like the one where I worked are, are putting this on the news side by side uh, with the, the actual uh, confirmed autopsy from the Hennepin County Medical Examiner. And the media is touting this as an independent autopsy. Well, these doctors are paid, uh, paid for, um, on, on the family's dime. So 
again, this is another one of many of the, the media lies. This is not an independent autopsy, but that is what they what they pushed uh, as soon as that was released. And again, there was a reason that that was released just within hours to basically cloud the release of, of what actually killed George Floyd. Was there a third autopsy? Yes, there's a third autopsy also by the uh, federal government. Um, I think that that that's what I think a lot of readers will find interesting in the book is how um, the government, the FBI, is involved uh, with this case from the very beginning, again, within within hours. Um, and not many people talk about um, that autopsy, uh, but we go into great detail um, with that. And that aligns very similarly um, with the Hennepin County uh, medical examiner and his findings. Okay, so you get this, you get this call, um, and this becomes, uh, um, this blows up almost immediately. <laughs> and when I use that word, I, I think I'm being uh, uh, pretty uh, graphic because it literally did blow up. Um, sure did. So you're in this, you're in the media, you're in the studio, and you're now reporting on this, you're getting, I, I guess, a, a, a distorted a point of view from your, your sources and your bosses up there. How do you, how do you then go on air and, and report on this? I mean, there must have been some, a lot of, conf, uh, you know, con, conflictedness going on within you about this. Yeah. So, um, just just to let you know, so I had been a, a regular anchor um, at this station at this point for, for 12 years. I was the weekend anchor. I was the main fill-in anchor anytime our main anchors were gone. Um, but immediately um, I was demoted from my anchor position uh, because of this incident. I would never go on to, to anchor another newscast uh, at WCCO again uh, due to my marriage. Uh, but the station where I worked was very clear about um, pushing the racist narrative. This is what we were going to go with. We had reporters actually using using the hashtag Black Lives Matter in their reporting um, that I thought was very questionable. I've never seen that before um, as a journalist. And, and I knew enough about the organization that there are certainly questions. But again, um, journalists turned into activists in my mind, and, and they could care less about telling uh, the public the full story. They, they wanted to, to push, push the lies. So I, I'm conflicted because I'm privy to this information, Randy, um, you know, through Bob, but also through different um, sources as well. And I'm bringing up, well, what about this? Or the, you know, the, the, the manual or why did, did this disappear? Why are we not asking about the body camera footage? That's the reason that officers have body camera footage. Why do we not know? Um, but again, it's very clear that um, those stories are never going to see uh, the light of day. Um, so I am kept from reporting any sort of police issues after this, any political stories after this. Um, I'm basically sidelined from everything I've done as a re reporter um, at this point for almost 20 years, um, even before my time uh, at CCO. And I was kind of kept only on COVID, one narrative uh, of COVID for nearly two years before I finally left because it was uh, it was clear to me that um, and, and I was blackballed in in the television market. I mean, nobody was going to take me take me into their newsroom because we had uh, protests outside the the WC the station where I worked, WCCO, uh, during a six o'clock news. People demanding my resignation. Uh, then they came to you know our house a couple different times for some pretty high profile uh, protests as well. So I had to kind of. Chart, chart my own course and, and figure out what my next move would be. Um, and also, I just felt like the the media seemed fine with poisoning 
um, the, the public rather than informing them. And I, I just, I've never seen it on such a, a large scale and up, up close before. I mean, certainly I've been more conservative person my whole life, but it's never gotten in the way of me as a, as a storyteller, as a, as a reporter. Um, but I didn't see that um, during, during this, during this story. Um, and, you, and again, you couldn't question the narrative, otherwise it's career suicide uh, in a way. Well, I guess, I mean, in your case, it was career homicide. Uh, your career was murdered by your bosses. You know, how does, I, I'm just trying to, I'm thinking my, in my own mind, what a betrayal that must have felt like to you. People that you've worked with for, uh, for 12 years, and suddenly you find yourself being castigated and uh, and pushed off a cliff, basically, to for political expediency. I mean, how how do how do people live with themselves with that kind of betrayal? How did it feel to you? Yeah, I think that you know I still grapple with these feelings, even even a, a couple of years later, right? Um, again, not a, not a part of the, the plan, but um, I think a lot of people, especially in law enforcement, can relate to this, right? I think everybody was canceled uh, in a way. And, I, and I'll say that I was supported so much uh, by my law enforcement friends and family, and I feel so blessed and lucky to be to be a part uh, of that. And, and it was so opposite with my uh, with my media family. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I guess when you have to pick pick the best uh, kind of people, I'll take people in uh, law enforcement I any day. Um, you know, there's a lot of egos involved in, in uh, the media and people care more about their public appearance and, and pleasing, um, you know, their audience in a way. But um, I, I think that that, that was the thing. I was being supported privately, but publicly people, you know, couldn't go to bat for me, even though that they totally, you know, they knew me as a, as a journalist, uh, you know, as a mom, you know, I'm not any of these things they're, they're talking about. My husband isn't any of these things um, that, you know, there are signs all over and um, talking about us being racist and, and whatever. And they know that it's total BS. Uh, but God forbid, uh, you know, you say that, you say that publicly. And I think that's part of the problem in the country, frankly, right? Um, that we just sort of let the mob run amok, if you, if you will, and it, the, the media was more than happy to uh, stick microphones in the mob's faces at every, you know, stretch. And that was that was the thing. Also, as a as a journalist, I, I kept saying, you know, the, these people they're they're in this to make money. These are these are well funded organizations. We're basically giving them free commercial time, and we're not even countering what the, what they're saying. Uh, we put so many lies uh, on television and didn't bother. Uh, you know, even even checking checking the facts uh, in, in many ways. But you know, can you imagine? I mean, Randy, you knew it was a they were trying to oust President Trump at all costs. This was an election year when this happened in, um, which can't be, I don't think, talked about about enough. So of course that had something to do with what we saw uh, play out. But but again, it was just all about racism. So that was uh, what the focus uh, had to be on. People often ask me, Malcolm, how do we fight the corruption? Robert Frost has said it best, freedom lies in being bold. Well, for six incredible years, bold is America out loud. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio.
Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? Well, now there is, and it's a pulvinone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a pulvinone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at CofixRx.com. You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. So let, let's go into the book a little bit. Um, you you take us from the 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 beginning of this of this debacle, and I mean it, this is this is such a big chunk to bite off um, as a as a journalist and as a, as a writer. Uh, how do you take the reader on the journey uh, from from you know the time that this begins to the time that you know the the um, you you follow through to the conclusion. Yeah, so in the book uh, total, there are six parts, and we sort of start there with assumptions and accusations. Is the the name of the first part of the book, um, because that's what this was, <laughs> right right from right from the get go. Uh, but we also have officers, uh, as I say, telling telling their story for the very first time. Another another lie that was told from the very beginning. Uh, right by Minneapolis police said they've never never had any contact with George Floyd before, never heard of him before. Uh, well, actually, he was part of a, an undercover drug investigation uh, almost a year earlier um, and was arrested. And we talked to the officer who made that arrest uh, for the first time. And, and his insight is really quite, quite remarkable. Um, so that's sort of getting getting into to the story a little bit. And then I'm giving also in the book, you know, my my own experiences of what I'm witnessing um, in, in the newsroom and sort of what we went through personally with uh, protests hit home. There's a section uh, of the book there. Um, we had a, a very large um, Black Lives Matter protest outside our house um, where there was a, a, a candidate running for state rep at the time in Minnesota, uh, John Thompson, who beat me in pinata effigy and in the driveway. Um, they had a pinata of Bob as well. Um, but it was about 150 protesters that came to our cul-de-sac, our neighborhood, um, 
here in the in the suburbs and um, decided to um, you know br bring this to our, our front front door if you will and terrify our neighborhood um, as a result. Um, but then also uh, the, the very end of the book um, is called uh, the right side of history, but the right side of history question mark because again these politicians. Um, and the media in the very beginning, they're touting that they're gonna be on the right side of history, right? Police reform, police reform, police reform, et cetera. Um, well, the union, Bob is blamed for this entire thing from the very beginning, nothing changes in the, the union uh, contract um, that was just recently uh, signed again. And now they can't find any uh, police officers. And also crime has skyrocketed, not only in Minneapolis, but obviously across the country. So is this what the right side of history um, is supposed to look like, and I think that we kind of answer that question being being no, but really, we really take these leaders uh, to tasks. The Attorney General, uh, who plays an integral role in all of this, Keith Ellison, um, there's quite a bit about him in the book and his past. Um, and also, as a reporter, I'm asking all along, why are we not, you know, we're, we're obsessed with Bob at this point and the union talking about, you know, an incident Bob would be involved with 20 years earlier as a police officer. How does that even have anything to do with the George Floyd incident? Why are we not talking about what the attorney general uh, who decided to, to charge these officers or or the, the governor of Minnesota, for that matter, uh, the police chief who has a very sordid history with Minneapolis. Um, so for the first time, we're actually telling the, the, the true story about the players um, that actually allowed this all to happen and, and, and in many ways destroy Minneapolis. That's what a fascinating, fascinating story. I, I want to get back to um, the protests at your house. Now, uh, obviously, this is a highly flammable situation where, uh, I mean, literally, it, it, could, it could explode in a moment and literally cost your lives. Um, what was the, did the police department offer protection or some type of security for you and, and your family? Yeah, we have um, wonderful, wonderful deputies around here in Washington County, um, but they, they'd been monitoring and Minneapolis had been monitoring threats to our house. I mean, frankly, I think we had a file about that, <laughs> that big just between bomb threats that would come in the mail or things that would post on social media. And, you know, I, I had a hard time because I, I didn't really, you know, you don't really want to put too much stock into this because this is what these people want, right? They want the spotlight and and whatnot, but you also, you know, we have a son, so we're trying to protect him. And we, you know, God forbid, one of these wackos actually makes good on on something. So we're reporting everything. Um, but this um, protest happens in August. It takes them, uh, you know, kind of a couple months to, I think, figure out uh, where we live. Um, but they, um, you know, they kind of come in, in full force. But uh, you know, the deputies did a great job. There were a lot of plainclothes officers and such. We weren't we weren't in town um, to see it. Um, but saw it on uh, Facebook Live, of course, but um, they were sort of staging in an area should things um, go bad. But again, that's what a lot of these groups want. They want the um, interaction. They want you to put your hands on them, if you will, so they can make money um, <laughs> or they'll sue you even if, uh, you know, that that's not the case. That's sort of part of the part of the playbook, if you will. Um, and obviously deputies uh, knew that. We also didn't want it to look like, uh, you know, Bob Kroll rounds up a bunch of people to have them, have them arrested. I will say that there's um, different ordinances now in many cities after what happened at our house um, uh, across Minnesota that you actually have to pull a permit now um, in order to uh, protest. If not, then you are arrested. Uh, but they did come on our property. Um, they left signs behind in our, our yard and it was completely 
repulsive and, and disgusting. Um, and I will say that the way the media treated it, and I talk about this in the in the book as well, the station where I worked refused to even cover this protest for several days. In fact, I was reprimanded for even suggesting uh, that they cover it because I thought it was newsworthy that this state rep was beating someone in pinata effigy, whether it was me or not. <laughs> um, but, I, but I was told um, that it shows my bias, the fact that I wanted that to- uh, Wow. <laughs> to and I thought we really need to inform Minnesota voters. But again, there's a reason uh, because it was a Black Lives Matter protest. and We didn't want to make this uh, group of people look bad on the news. Um, you know, I have blood pressure problems. <laughs> <laughs> and and the more I hear um, your, your story about this, the higher my blood pressure goes. You know, and this is such an essential book for people to, to read, to get the truth, which has been suppressed literally all through the, all through the, the, the life of this event. Um, now, here's, here's a, a, a question that, that I would love your input on. So the, the fix is in as far as charging. You know, we know that that's, gonna, that's inevitable from the, from the moment that this hit, that this hit the, the, uh, the news. It was inevitable that these officers were going to be charged. Um, how did a jury, I mean, what happened at the trial that the truth did not come out at the trial? Yeah, I'm glad, glad you brought that up because that's a section of the, the book as well. I'm just going into the trial of, of Derek Chauvin, right? So he's found guilty um, of these, these three charges. So he's guilty, right? I mean, that's just uh, what we're led to believe. Uh, but it is absolutely amazing the manipulation ha ha happening behind the scenes uh, with, with this trial as well. And that is Keith Ellison, uh, who was the lead prosecutor in this case. And, and his history, I think, is so um, eye-opening uh, when, when people hear about that, many for the, many for the first time. Um, but we're, we're talking about um, one of these officers who's called um, by the defense. This is just one example. Um, he's the one that um, is basically the the head investigator into this um, into this uh, drug case investigating George Floyd back in 2019, and he talks about um, just Keith Ellison's uh, demeanor and how he's questioning him. Tell me about the traffic stop from 2019. Tell me about the traffic stop from 2019. And this officer keeps saying it's not a traffic stop. I mean, this is a drug investigation we were doing. This is not a. This is has nothing to do with the traffic stop. And and again, it's the it's the prosecution trying to hide uh, George Floyd's past. And they they quickly meet after they realize this officer is not going to lie um, about the, that interaction in 2019. And they decide, you know what? We don't want you as a witness. Um, you're not going to back up uh, what we're saying here. So they they quickly dismiss him. And then um, Scott Creighton is his name. He eventually becomes the first witness called. Uh, by the defense. But but again, we saw um, Keith Ellison called them the, the Michael Jordan uh, of attorneys that he assembled. We had two floors at the Hennepin County uh, Courthouse basically turned over um, to the prosecution in this case. That's never happened in uh, in Minnesota history for any uh, for any case. Um, so it was we had jurors asking off. They didn't want to be on the, the trial. Um, in one case, the judge said, sorry, you know, I don't want to be here either, but you, you, you got to do this um, because they are so afraid of the mob uh, coming after coming after them and, you know, them losing their jobs or et cetera. So there's a lot of different stories about what was happening uh, behind the scenes in court. 
Um, and, and again, Thomas Lane speaks to this as well. Well, he pled guilty, so he's guilty, right? Well, no, he saw what happened with Derek Chauvin in his case and what people said, including their own police chief, including the head of uh, training for the Minneapolis Police Department. And why would they, would they go through this again? They didn't stand a chance from the very beginning. Oh, this is this is just uh, hearing this recounted is, is so disturbing on every single level. You know the the as far as the the legal defense went, were the attorneys that were working on the defense were they uh, were they fully engaged and 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 fully competent in their in their defense? Yeah, so we do um, talk to a couple of them in the book as well. Uh, Eric Nelson, who represented uh, Derek Chauvin. I think in the beginning, um, the, these attorneys, um, they used, you know, this is a t complete miscarriage of justice. They never seen anything like this uh, before. I think it took them a while to sort of realize that this is, um, <laughs> you know, the, this is such an uphill, uphill battle. I think that many of them were convinced in the beginning, you know, that they wouldn't even be charged. Um, especially the other three, other three officers, um, or that uh, you know they would get, file for a dismissal and that that would be granted by a judge. Um, but I, I think that it was just something that it was such a Goliath they're they're going against. Again, racism is, is on trial, even though you never heard anything about that uh, actually in in trial at all. And that's what that's the point I try to make um, too when I when I talk to people about this book. It's not so much you know, a police wife writing a book or, um, you know, going to bat for, for the cops. If you care about justice in America, every American should care about this. Mob justice is not justice. And that's that's what this is. If the, if the government can hide information, um, if a place where, where you work can go ahead and manipulate the message, whether it's MPD, whether it's a, you know, a large corporation media company where, where I worked, um, and, and you can just withhold the truth to, to craft a narrative, um, that should scare people. Um, I mean, it still scares me me to this day, um, but, but also I feel like we can't be silent, right, Randy? We have to, we have to talk about this, especially with what it's done uh, to the police profession. Um, it's absolutely disgusting. And, and for what? I mean, and, and, and why? Why did this even, this didn't, you know, it just didn't have to happen if people just told the truth uh, from the very beginning. Exactly. I want to. Um, I got to take a quick break here and uh, uh, to talk about some of my sponsors. But I want you to stay with me, and we're going to finish out the hour with uh, with you. Okay. So, a couple things I want to talk about. Um, you know, what's timely about this is that uh, you know that 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 Bob and and Liz were basically doxxed. They were found. Um, you know the the uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa and every all the all the protesters. They found them. Now, how did they find them? Well, internet searches are uh, incredibly revealing, and so every cop in America should know about OfficerPrivacy.com. Um, they've been a, a huge supporter of this show and, and all of law enforcement. Uh, Pete, who. Uh, created this company is a uh, is a former is a retired uh, police officer who recognized the threats that the internet can pose to uh, to doxing and to and to finding law enforcement families. So he created OfficerPrivacy.com, and what they do is they actually 
go into the internet and remove the ability for people to find you. I can't stress enough how important this is. Um, so, and it's really inexpensive. It's 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 pennies. And if you want to do it yourself, they'll give you the they give the instructions to do that as well. So go to officerprivacy.com. This is for every cop and every person who was a cop to take a look at. And uh, uh, this is this is essential stuff. And and what what Liz is just talking about is just such an incredible illustration of why officerprivacy.com is such an important tool. Um, there's a, there's you know, everything on this show uh, and everything involving my career is based on uh, on positive methods for saving lives, saving careers. I had the great good fortune to meet uh, some incredible people from a company called ThinBlueDefend.com, ThinBlueDefend.com. Uh, Doug Parker is a former GBI, that's Georgia Bureau of Investigation investigator, investigated tons of major uses of force and police officer-involved uh, shootings. He uh, has developed what I think is probably one of the most essential apps that has ever been created for law enforcement, for protecting law enforcement careers. ThinBlueDefend.com. Go to that website and read about it. There's a lot of extensive stuff on on, on how a police officer can defend themselves through record keeping about their incidents. And it's, it's fascinating stuff. I've seen it in action. Uh, Doug Parker and his team over there are absolutely um, uh, dedicated to saving the careers of law enforcement officers, but they have to have, they have to, Cops have to be given the tools, and this is one of them. So go to thinbluedefend.com and take a look at what they have. Uh, also, when I talk about law enforcement and I talk about how important it is to save lives, um, I'm going to show you something in just a, a moment that is one of the most innovative, life-saving devices for police ever invented. Now, if that sounds like a big statement, it is, and I mean it. Um, I had to, I, once again, I, in my role as, as the founder of the Wounded Blue, um, I search out ways that we can prevent the injuries of police officers uh, before they happen, as well as deal with the aftermath. And I was, I was so incredibly um, honored with meeting this company that has created what I believe is it should be in every police car in America. Now, it's a it's a ballistic shield. Now, everybody involved in law enforcement knows that ballistic shields are essential, but usually they're in the tactical team's uh, vehicles or in a supervisor's vehicle. So when a cop needs a shield, they've got to wait for that. Well, not anymore. Uh, but the 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 Reality is that most of these shields are very, very unwieldy. They're very heavy, and they're difficult to maneuver. Well, not anymore. Um, the people at Armor Research <laughs> invented something that is absolutely incredible. I'm going to show it to you right now. Now, think of this. This should be in every police car in America. This is a ballistic shield that I can literally pick up with two fingers. Two fingers. And it'll stop a AK-47 round. It'll stop high-power rifles. So I'm telling you, 
that this needs to be in every police car in America. If you're a law enforcement leader or you're someone that is involved in an agency and has decision-making capabilities, contact me, Randy, at thewoundedblue.org. That's Randy at thewoundedblue.org. I will give you more information on this. I will introduce you to the founder of the company who is who is such an incredible human being uh, that, that literally travels the country doing everything he possibly can to save lives. It's Armor Research Company. Contact me. I will, Plus, they also, this is, this is the kind of people we're dealing with here, okay? They're such good human beings. Not only are they, are they selling these uh, to police agencies, but they're also donating a portion of what they sell to the Wounded Blue. So I can't, I can't talk enough about this company and the other companies I just spoke about. Very dedicated people, very dedicated companies that are doing an incredible job um, by helping to defend America's law enforcement officers. So check that out. Make sure that you contact me, Randy, at thewoundedblue.org. I will put you in touch with Armor Research and the people over there. Um, Liz, come on back, will you? I'm here. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> did, you know, I just think it's the timing of this interview in dealing with like the 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 um, the discussion about OfficerPrivacy.com. Isn't that? I mean, that would have helped you guys. Yeah, yeah. I think um, that would have certainly been great. And actually, we um, we did have a have a service, but they went to so much trouble that they went to different county um, courthouses to look up Bob's tax records uh, to find him. That's how that's how desperate and disgusting uh, the, <laughs> these these groups can be. Um, but I think that your uh, your plug there is spot on. And I think that every uh, police officer should be should be taking advantage of if anything, because, again, this is this is their livelihood. A lot of these groups um, that can't be <laughs> that's that's part of the plan, right? Well, see, you know, let's talk about that. I think that's this is a fascinating topic. This wasn't just this wasn't about George Floyd in in reality, was it? Um, this put this pushed political agendas um, in, in a way that I've never seen in history. Talk about about what you discovered during your investigative process about all of the politicization of this event. Yeah, I think that's such a great point um, because George Floyd didn't really matter. <laughs> that's uh, that's sort of what was what was so telling to me from from the very beginning. And I will encourage your listeners and your viewers to, to watch um, Candace Owens and her team at the Daily Wire their documentary, "The Greatest Lie Ever Sold." Uh, Bob and I were a part of of that documentary as well. But they talk about how eighty million dollars basically raised on the backs of uh, on the back of George Floyd uh, for Black Lives Matter. Where'd that money go? Well, certainly didn't go to 38th and Chicago, uh, which is an autonomous zone basically in Minneapolis uh, that many people won't even uh, go by at all, uh, where there's been at least nine homicides uh, since George Floyd uh, died there um, and just skyrocketing uh, crime. It didn't go to George Floyd's roommates. These are people that, that knew him probably best. Uh, they, he lived with them for uh, four years. Um, and, and they talked to Candace in that documentary too. George Floyd's family never even returned um, to his apartment where he lived uh, with these people to collect his personal belongings. 
his car uh, was still there. Um, all his personal belongings in his bedroom were well, still he, there. Well, they, they didn't need to do because they were given so much money. But, but again, this is this is something, Randy, that comes out in this documentary, um, well-researched, and it's nothing that the media even reports on at all. Um, it's completely ignored, just as, you know, just as they've done with, the, with this book as well. The media doesn't want this part of the story out there. And I say this as a member of the media uh, for, for 20 years, but th this certainly opened my eyes. COVID opened my eyes, and um, I, I was having a, you know, kind of wrestling match with myself inside that I just wanted to be on the side of, of truth. Um, which I needed to uh, break free to be be able to do. Well, you know, I, I know that the media is not giving this book much attention, but still, that's not that hasn't kept it from being a best-selling book, though, has it? Yeah, and I think that that's the thing too. It was like it was coming to the point where, especially you know, officers and, and such people are smart, right? Like it's not they see what they're seeing on the news is only a part of the story, if it even is part of the story, right? Uh, they, they knew that there was a lot more um, to this, and I think that's why uh, the book book has done so well, but you also couldn't say there was more uh, to this situation um, because, again, you're attacked by your family or, or, or whatnot. So um, I've been really relieved uh, that there are a lot of, a lot of smart people uh, out there, and, um, I, you know, I'm just very thankful how, how well the, the book is doing because this was, this was more of just, you know, Wanted to get the story out there and break even with um, our, our editor, if you will. Um, this isn't about any sort of money or anything. You just want to tell tell the truth um, and, you know, get get these uh, voices out there because they, you know, the truth just just hasn't been been told. But, yeah, we've been an Amazon bestseller since its release last month. I think BarnesandNoble.com just picked up the, the book as well. And, you know, I'm doing a lot of different conservative media interviews and such, but it is very interesting how one side has uh, completely ignored <laughs> the book from the beginning. Oh, you mean MSNBC hasn't invited you on? They haven't called yet, Randy, but I will <laughs> let you know. I will let you know when that changes, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll be waiting a long time, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so, so the long-term effects of this, how has it affected your family? Uh, your, I know you have, you have a son. How has this affected him? You know, I think um, from the very beginning, uh, my son knew that the, <laughs> he, he's pretty smart. He's uh, 10 now, um, so was about seven at, at the time. But, you know, he, he was even watching a, a clip of video um, during the time of riots and such. You try to keep your kids away from this, but it's almost impossible uh, sure. nowadays with the way the world works. Um, but he said, you know, Mom, uh, so police officers made a mistake and they're stealing stuff from Target. Uh, those were his lines uh, back then. So it didn't make sense to him. And, you know, we tried to keep the protests at our house away from him also, but he ended up finding that on YouTube, sadly. Um, and then you have to explain to him that, um, you know, this isn't, this isn't what, um, you know, people think of the police. These are just, um, you know, some people that make money off of this. And, but I will say that, um, you know, even, even someone like him, I feel like, you know, he's, He's very political now at a very early age because he really sees the difference between right and wrong and what he witnessed that summer was wrong on on basically every level and you know this is a kid that dreams of being a police officer uh when, when he gets older and that's what we need kids to do right we need little boys and girls to to want to give back and to to protect us uh that's the whole point um and that's why i felt like wh where i was working uh we're poisoning the well we're we were basically teaching kids to be afraid of the police, right? We were pushing a children's book um, where, where I worked before about why do, you should be afraid of the police. Uh, 
you know, and I'm just was so not okay with it from the, from the very, from the very start. And yeah, this is, this George Floyd was a watershed moment in law enforcement. Um, and, and the, the reverberations from this are continuing to undermine, um, public safety in America. Um, we're seeing it nationwide, the, the ripple effect of this situation. And, and we are continuing to see the degradation and the degrading of law enforcement throughout the country. I know Minneapolis is a mess. Minneapolis is there. I mean, they can't even get anybody to come take a police test there. And I don't blame them. I don't blame him one little bit with the leadership. Yeah, Bob, with the, Bob will tell the tell the story, Randy, when he was, you know, he's a hundred years old, as I like to tell him. But uh, <laughs> back when he uh, became a police officer, you know, he it was you know eight nine hundred people that would sign up for you know twenty positions or, or yeah, um, you know, and now they can't even find ten people to join uh, the Minneapolis Police Department. But, but really, why uh, why would they? They've they've made a million uh, policy changes, et cetera, and officers are basically, they just respond to, to calls. They're kind of, uh, you know, fire department now, if you will. Um, they just go and, you know, put out the fire and then they're, you know, done. Because again, this is every call they go on, you have cell phones in their faces or they're being, um, you know, cussed at and, and whatnot. There are certainly a lot of people um, that, that appreciate them, but it's uh, it's really tough, and, and also you just don't really see light lighted at the end of the tunnel. I mean, Bob says that maybe a ten years from from turning around, um, you know, you hope you hope it's sooner. But mo a lot of people I know won't even go into Minneapolis anymore. And this right. was a place where everybody took their kids to Twins games, Vikings games, you know, a vibrant downtown, um, and it's completely changed. Where can uh, where can your uh, where can the reader my my viewers uh, find your book? Yeah, so it's uh, on thelieexposed.com, thelieexposed.com. Uh, there's some different blog posts there and videos as well that go along with the book. Um, but that'll get you to a link to Amazon. Um, but yeah, just uh, was picked up by, by Barnes & Noble, and we hope uh, some more retailers as well. We haven't been canceled yet, Randy. <laughs> well, keep up the good fight. Stay with me while I do the last portion of the show. So uh, on this show, we, we honor uh, the men and women who have made the ultimate sacrifice and given their lives in the line of duty. It's called End of Watch. The following officers have lost their lives in the line of duty in the last two weeks. Lieutenant Christina Zell, Niagara Falls Police Department, New York. Lieutenant Christina Zell died from complications as a result of contracting COVID-19 in the line of duty. Lieutenant Zell had served the Niagara Falls Police Department for over 22 years, was assigned to the Criminal Investigation Division. She had previously served with the U.S. Marshals Violent Fugitive Task Force. Lieutenant Zell was posthumously promoted to lieutenant. Lieutenant Christina Zell, Niagara Falls Police Department, New York. End of watch, Monday, November 7th, 2022. Police Officer Brandon Sy, Grand Prairie Police Department, Texas. Police officer Brandon Sai was killed in a vehicle crash while pursuing a vehicle with a fraudulent temporary tag at about 10.45 p.m. on November 14th. The vehicle fled when Officer Sai attempted to stop it at the intersection of 3rd and Pioneer. Officer Sai and another officer pursued the vehicle for approximately five miles until it s slowed suddenly to turn. Officer Tai's patrol car made contact with the patrol car in front of him 
and the impact caused his patrol car to turn on its side and strike a pole. He was transported to Methodist Dallas Medical Center where he succumbed to his injuries. This uh, suspect was later arrested. Police Officer Brandon Sy, Grand Prairie Police Department, Texas. End of watch Monday, November 14th, 2022. And Marine Interdiction Agent uh, Michael O. Masita, United States Department of Homeland Security, um, Customs and Border Protection. Marine Interdiction Agent Michael Masita was shot and killed during a maritime narcotics interdiction operation 12 miles southwest of Puerto Rico. He and two other Marine Interdiction Agents intercepted a vessel they believed to be transporting narcotics. One of the occupants of the vehicle opened fire as they began. the agents began to board it. All three agents, both subjects, were shot during the shootout. The United States Coast Guard flew all three agents to a hospital where Agent Masita later succumbed. One of the two smugglers was killed. Marine Interdiction Agent Michael O. Masita, end of watch Thursday, November 17, 2022. Each of these officers gave their lives in the line of duty. Now, before we say goodbye, um, I want to bring to your attention the Wounded Blue. The Wounded Blue is the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is a national 501c3 nonprofit. We need your help. We need you to show your support for these men and women who have given so much. And I ask you to go to the woundedblue.org, donate what you can, 10 bucks a month, 25, whatever you can do. Um, I can promise you that this money will go to aid injured and disabled officers, whether those injuries are physical or emotional and psychological. So. Thank you for joining me here again at the Voice for American Law Enforcement on the America Out Loud Network and wherever you hear this, and uh, I'll see you again next week. Thank you, and be safe. One, nine, one,